Welcome to A Moment of Bach, where we take our favorite moments from the composer's vast musical output, just a minute's worth, or even a few seconds, and show you why we think they are remarkable. We are your hosts, Alex and Christian Kiebert. Today's moment comes from the third of the three organ chorale preludes on Allein Gott in der Höhe sei er, BWV664. Bach scholar Dr. Anne Leahy writes, I have suggested that Bach is portraying the text of stanza 1 in BWV 662, that is, the first chorale prelude on this tune, and the text of stanzas 2 and 3 in BWV 63, that's the second. Since Bach portrays the Trinitarian God in 662, God the Father, and the Son in 663, it may be logical to suggest that the Holy Spirit and therefore stanza four would be represented in 664. And in Dr. Leahy's book, which is J.S. Bach's Leipzig Chorale Preludes, Music Text Theology, she quotes a few other musicologists, notably a nice quote from Hermann Keller, who observed the heavenly host of angels soaring up and down the keyboard in this setting. So Bach is conveying heavenly joy. And the reason for this is that's what he usually did musically to portray the Holy Spirit, the third part of the Trinity. And the closer you look, the more obvious the theme of three is present in this organ work. First of all, if you haven't heard our episodes, we've already covered part one and two of what essentially make a set of three preludes on this tune. So Alex, the first thing I noticed after listening to the other two and then listening to this one, is that it's not really that obvious that this is a line goat, is it, at the beginning? No. This might be the most hidden one of all of them. If you're trying to figure out, even if you knew it was a hymn tune, a chorale melody, I don't think I would have got it until the end. Because at the end, just the very end, Bach lays it out clear for us in the pedals. We hear the first two phrases of the hymn, and that's it. It's kind of abbreviated. So I don't think I would even have known if it wasn't for that, and if we didn't know the title in the background of this. But if you do know, then it is there, hidden. And one example is the very beginning. So hidden in the 
flowery filigree of those 16th notes is sort of the first phrase of the hymn. And the other thing that's Trinitarian or three-like in here that isn't in the other two, do you know what I'm thinking of, Alex? Just the fact that it's in three parts? Yeah, the texture is three parts. The other ones weren't weren't strictly that, I think. Right. This texture is very deliberate from Bach. It's called trio, trio texture, or this like what we see in a trio sonata. There are three independent parts playing. And this is sort of an Italian thing. You might have basically a duet of two violins or leading instruments supported by a bass line, which counts as part number three, and that's a trio. I mean, in practice, this is not necessarily three people playing because there might be a harpsichordist, so maybe there's four or even five if there's another continuo instrument. And here we have an organist, so that's just one, but it's not about the number of people playing, but rather the number of parts in the musical texture, and that's what this is. In this texture, Bach really pushes it for all it's worth with these upper two parts that are sort of more violin or flute-like in their character, and they exchange places a lot. The second one is often above the first one, and the slight difference in timbre is necessary for the hands to be crossing like that. And if you watch the video of this performance, you'll see that, of course, two different manuals, two keyboards, are being used for each of those two parts because they cross so often and they need to sound different anyway. There are some more elements of this piece that could signify the Trinity, right, Christian? Is it the key signature? <laughs> oh, I didn't think about that. I was thinking about the rhythmic motif of the bum, 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 bum. Oh, yeah, yeah. It happens a lot in the pedals. Yeah, and it's also kind of conveying sturdiness and support. But yes, it's groups of three, isn't it? And the first three notes of the pedal, too. It's always just one, two, three, and one, two, three. Yeah. The key signature, I don't know if that's necessarily on purpose, but we know that Bach did think of of that sometimes. In this case, there are three sharps in the key signature, but then in other Bach works, the three sharps mean three crosses, as in Jesus's death when he was crucified along with mm. two other people. And that's because in German, it's Kreuz for sharp, which means cross. So I think it's a little bit more obvious in German than it is in English. Yeah. And I mean, the other, the first of these three chorale preludes on this tune is also an A major. Mm -hmm. The second is G major. The third is A major again. So I'm not sure if you can make the argument that the key signature represents the Holy Spirit. Yeah, Dr. Leahy notes that exact same thing. She writes, The most noteworthy musical characteristics of BWV 664 are the trio setting, the A major tonality, the contrapuntal writing, the almost constant presence of the ritornello material repeated, the characterful writing of the episodes in between, and the presentation of the first two lines of the Cantus Firmus melody in the pedal at the end. So it does get a mention, but she also says that Bach returns here to the heavenly key of A major, 
suggesting that the Trinitarian God is depicted in 662 in the same key. Perhaps Bach is making a point about the Trinity here. It's impossible to know. For, for a long time, nobody really did a lot of scholarship on connecting this to its text. But now that's kind of what we think of when we think of this set of three organ works. Mm-hmm. One thing I love about this particular setting is the tied notes. And by that, I mean the suspensions. Usually it's suspensions in this piece. Sometimes tied notes for Bach are like syncopations, but that's not really what they are here because functionally these notes hang over longer and then resolve. So that makes them what we call suspensions in music theory. You can hear a couple right off the bat in the first measure, but there's some moments that the right hand jumps up an octave and hangs onto some high notes for a long time. Thinking of measure 14 and 15, those are some nice moments. Sometimes the suspension goes a whole beat into the next bar. Sometimes it just holds over for a second, which is, well, way less than a second. It just holds over for a 16th note before it goes back on. Yeah. So like, I'm talking about in 14, I really like the bum, bum, bum. And then when the B holds over B, A, then bum, bum, the bass is yeah. going A, B, so they're opposite. Like the motion is opposite there, which is kind of cool. They just switch off who has the B and who has the A, which is a little bit unusual. My favorite moment. So Christian, I don't know where you're going with your moment yet in this piece. I'll just tell you what mine is. It's the string of suspensions. This happens at measure 61 through 64. In the right hand, there's a string of suspensions as the left hand has the filigree stuff and the pedal has the Holy Spirit bump, 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 groups of three for a second before it goes into a, a more sturdy eighth note thing. But the right hand is where I think the real money notes are here because it's a string of suspensions that go down by step. Not only that, but our organist here, Righteous Schmitz, has decided to trill all of these notes, and it really sparkles. That's about three minutes and ten seconds in the recording. It happens earlier, too in the recording. The first time it happens in the 39, it's it's the opposite. Right, it's in the left hand. Yeah. Yeah. Although I guess it's mostly the same. It, it's just inverted. It's in a different key. It's the same material in the different section. which one you like better that's the great thing about this kind of counterpoint is that when he flips it it produces a different effect we're in a different key at that point so they are very different yeah i mean and he does troll them both times i just think i like the second one better but that's just a purely personal preference the trills on the top the second time is maybe a little bit brighter yeah but the texture is tighter and closer in the first time.
They're so different, even though it's the same music. That's the power of counterpoint and being able to transform things. Yeah, and the textures are slightly different in the hands too, based on the registrations that he's using, I think, although they sound pretty similar to me. I think they're meant to sound balanced, but they're a little bit different. Yeah, and I'm not quite enough of an organ builder expert to see what's going on. There are some shots in the video of the registrations that he's pulled. And so you can see that he has, for instance, a bassoon in the pedal. It shows up on one of these hmm. on one of these shots. But I'm not sure. To my ears, it sounds like both hands are doing some kind of eight-foot flute and a two-foot flute together, which is an interesting sound because you are missing the four-foot flute in the middle. So it's basically like having playing an A at pitch and then adding the A two octaves above when you hit that A key. Then move up to the B, you have the B at pitch, and then the B two octaves above. But it's missing the middle octave. It's kind of an interesting hollow sound. But it still sounds very bright because you do have that high two-foot rank being used. It's also possible that there is also a mixture happening that I'm not hearing. I love that sound of the split between the eight-foot and the two-foot. That gap in between makes a really cool sound. What, what is your moment, though? That's it. Oh, that was it. You got it right. <laughs> I was going to oh, say both of them because I couldn't really pick a favorite between the two, and the musical material was the same. Yeah. But yes, that's, the, that's it. It's so sparkly. It really makes the case for Bach trying to portray the Holy Spirit as the life-giver aspect of the Trinity and the faith-giver the faith part of the Trinity as well. Things that have to do with the Holy Spirit for Bach are usually allegro and very fast because the Holy Spirit is a breath like a wind, but also a fire like in, in Pentecost where the tongues of fire descended on the people in, so that they could communicate. I think that's, right. that's partly what this is. Maybe I might like better actually that angle that these two upper parts of the trio texture here are people like being infused with or affected by the Holy Spirit or being given life and breath by the Holy Spirit rather than just angels. Yeah, maybe. Or maybe it's the tongues of flame themselves, those descending lines and the trills on them. It fits in line with the other swiftly moving material from the, the two hands. I think that's, that's a valid interpretation. Mm -hmm. Well, Bach was taken with his work enough to resurrect it because he wrote this when he worked in Weimar and he put it aside for a while and then he revised it much later in Leipzig. And that's why we have it now in this mm. collected version. So he clearly liked it enough to do that. Yeah, and the other two. Also, I think for the listeners, if anybody is dubious about the fact that we are trying to come up with these interpretations of this fairly abstract music, all you have to do is remember that Bach always tried to set the text to music that painted the picture, whether it was instrumental or not. So you, all you have to do, of course, is to look at the cantatas and other things like that to see that Bach clearly is text painting here. That's just that's just complete. That's just an objective fact. The subjective part of it is what is he exactly painting, and that's kind of where the art the artistry comes in. Yeah, when there when there were somehow words in the source material, he used them. And now, here is that descending string of suspensions moment from the third Alain Gott organ prelude.
If this introduction to a musical moment by Bach has inspired you to hear and see this performance on YouTube, please check out the link. Reitze Smits plays it for the Netherlands Bach Society, and he also plays the other two Alain Gott chorale preludes, like we mentioned. Links to those are all in the description. We continue to receive listener suggestions on Moments of Bach. We love those, so listeners, please keep those coming. You can contact us through our website, amomentofbach.com. That completes our three episodes over the course of this season on these three magnificent organ chorale preludes on the hymn tune Alain Gott. So what's next, Alex? Next is a secular cantata, Las Fürsten, Las Noch Einen Strahl, otherwise known as Traurod. This is BWV 198, and we'll look at the tenor aria. Until next time, enjoy those moments. (laughs) 